Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Hi, Stephen Armstrong here. Just wanted to let you know that this special edition of the story is brought to you with support from the Orwell Foundation, together with the Joseph Rowntree Foundation. The Orwell Foundation uses the work of George Orwell to celebrate honest writing and reporting, to uncover hidden lives, and to confront uncomfortable truths. To find out more about their work, which includes the prestigious Orwell Prize, head over to orwellfoundation.com. And now, on with the show. I have what I call, oh my God, mouths. Either, oh my God, mouths, because there's just so much decay and decimation that I didn't anticipate. Or as in this guy from Crisis, where I looked in his mouth and it was, oh my God, the work in his mouth was beautiful. And I have never seen such beautiful gold work, which as a dentist, it was breathtaking. He admitted that he had about £30,000 worth of dentistry in his mouth. How is it possible that a man who once upon a time had spent £30,000 on his teeth, disposable income, a disposable purchase. How does he end up on the street? Welcome to the Unreported Britain podcast, and this, the pilot episode of a new series, hoping to showcase stories from the Orwell Foundation's Unreported Britain project. I'm Stephen Armstrong. In these podcasts... We'll expose hidden social issues and listen to unheard voices from around the UK. And in the spirit of George Orwell, we'll launch a debate about what we don't know about Britain today and why we don't know it. The Unreported Britain project began with some print articles in The Guardian back in 2015. It seems to fit better in a podcast, though. There's something about people bearing witness to their own lives in their own voices that seems important, and it allows an intimacy a way of understanding people that print just can't get across. I suppose that's why oral history has always been part of how we understand our recent past and how we know what the experience of living through history was. We've been travelling around talking to people in a variety of almost forgotten communities with a number of unreported issues. And in this episode, we're talking about the nation's teeth. And helping us tell this story is Jane Laleen, 
a dentist who volunteers with the homeless charity Crisis and with the dental charity Dentaid. Working with the homeless. The big difference. She sees teeth not just as a cosmetic issue, but she sees the mouth as the gateway to the body. And she sees the quality of our teeth as being a general indicator of the quality of our health. We pick up diseases. There's a really strong link between diabetes and gum disease, heart disease and gum disease, low birth weight babies and gum disease, pancreatic cancer and gum disease, lung cancer and gum disease. So there's huge links between what goes on in the mouth and, and the, the rest of the health, and we can spot it. And... So while oral health does give clues to our general medical health, and the state of Britain's mouths, therefore, give us some important clues to the state of our society, and the news is not good. For example, the teeth we heard about in the opening of this episode, the guy with £30,000 worth of gold tooth work in his mouth, tell the story of just how easy it is to fall from wealth into abject poverty. Jane met him at the crisis at Christmas homeless shelter, and she later told me he'd been an investment banker. And now he's reduced to begging on the streets, entirely homeless. She said that when crisis originally briefed volunteers, when she first started working with them, they used to say that all of us are just three paychecks away from being homeless. But she said that these days, crisis say it's one paycheck away. So how long could you keep paying your mortgage? How long could you keep paying your rent if you lost your job tomorrow? We think there's a safety net. We love to think there's a safety net. There's a healthcare system, free point of access. There's a benefit system that will carry us through. But in this program, we're going to be hearing from people who are falling through the holes in that net. Some of the other mouths will be hearing about it later in this episode. Tell the story of a struggling national health service, a complicated costing system, unnecessary rules and regulations leading to a fundamental lack of access to care for people, not just homeless people. We'll explore how these broken social structures are materialising in our very mouths. So this is the story of the nation's teeth, what's going wrong and what that means for all of us. This one? Yeah. This one? I've got a pain in every day and Right, now this one here, the one that's giving you the jip. Yeah. You see it's wobbly. It's because there's an infection at the end of it. I would strongly suggest that you let me take that one out today. Uh, yeah, hang on now. No, because that's too many gaps. There's, there's too many gaps. The good news is, Dan, that whilst this is black, actually it's quite hard. There's not much decay in around here. So most of this is going to be a bit like a bit of a cover-up job, a bit like painting. Short of fingernails being dragged down a blackboard, the sound of a dental drill is possibly the most uncomfortable thing I can think of. We like to think this podcast makes for uneasy listening, but that's a whole different kind of uneasy listening. It's the sound of Jane extracting a tooth from Dan, who's one of Dentaid's clients. Jane and the rest of the Dentaid team visit Winchester once a month, where they head over to the Trinity Homeless Daycare Centre, and there they look after as many of Trinity's clients as they can fit in in a day. So what do Dentaid do, and what is the Dentaid van? The Dentaid van is, it's like a big 
um, mobile caravan and inside it is a completely fitted out dental surgery. So we've got everything that you would have in a normal dental surgery and we can drive it around to where it's needed. Once upon a time, that need was far away in parts of the developing world. When Dentaid began work in the 1990s, it was transporting reconditioned dental equipment to the Ukraine and then expanded its work to countries around Africa where there was extreme poverty and a need for extreme emergency dental care. Over the past few years, leading up to 2015, charities working with vulnerable people across the UK started noticing signs that the same levels of extreme dental need were being found on the streets here, that where we were supposed to have a free health service, people were not getting the care they deserved. Jane has worked all around the world in places of extreme deprivation, from Africa to the Ukraine to most recently refugee camps in Europe. I think that's the thing that's really struck me is that when I've been working in the refugee camps, the dental issues that we're dealing with abroad are very, very similar. Can you talk a bit about the decision to not just be a developing world charity but also to start looking the UK. Was there a particular prompt for that? And what were the first things that you did in the UK? When did you start looking at the UK? So Dentaid, they were contacted by the Trussell Trust. So the Trussell Trust are the people that started the food banks. But there was a, a cafe that was created where people could pay what they wanted for their meals. And the people that were running it noticed that many people weren't eating, the homeless people weren't eating. And they recognised or they found out that the reason they weren't eating is because it was too painful for them. So that's when Dentaid was contacted to say, is there something you can do, which is how the Dewsbury's project started. So Dentaid, a developing world charity, started working with homeless people in the UK who couldn't access dental care. Now, you might ask, surely everyone has the right to access the NHS, homeless or not? Surely we all have the right to free healthcare. And there are lots of reasons that people have difficulty accessing the NHS. We'll get to a lot of those later, but in the case of the people using Dentaid services in Winchester, it usually comes down to the itinerant lifestyle of a homeless person making it extremely difficult to keep appointments. The homeless... They are not very good at turning up to appointments because if you imagine that they're homeless and they've got to meet somebody and there's an offer of a hostel place, that takes priority over absolutely everything. And if they just happen to have a dental appointment on that afternoon, that won't happen. They'll miss it. And unfortunately... For the dentists, they can't afford to keep people on their books that keep missing appointments. So the current guidelines are if somebody misses two appointments, they get asked to leave. So people missing appointments, it's difficult for health service dentists to, to be able to do that. So it's the difficulty of looking after yourself on the streets. It's people turning to substances to numb their pain, such as methadone or alcohol, which have a terrible effect on people's oral health. And with an itinerant and chaotic lifestyle, it's difficulties people have just keeping simple appointments. 
It's easy to dismiss this as a homeless problem. And whilst it's true that we're all only one paycheck away from being homeless, it still feels a long way off. It feels like it isn't our problem. But actually, a lack of access to dental care isn't just affecting homeless people. It's affecting anyone. OK, sure. Yeah, my name's Alistair Pulling, and that is spelled A-L-I-S-T. We spoke to Alistair Pulling, who has a well-paid job. He's the head of communications for a large charity. Well, I was working in public relations and as a copywriter. Um, I was living in Northampton at the time. He found himself in extreme dental agony, and he was shocked to find how hard it was to access adequate treatment on the NHS. To get the whole story, though, we need to go back a couple of decades. It actually started back in the 90s, believe it or not. I was at an after-party for the Ramones' last ever gig in the UK, and there were crates of beer being passed around for free, but no one had any bottle openers. So I, was, I actually opened several bottles with my teeth because I was slightly, slightly worse to wear anyway and it was that kind, of, that kind of night. I'd broken a tooth. I'd had it fixed up back then properly by a dentist, um, but as, as the years went on, um, it, that, that deteriorated. And then I, I found myself one day in quite excruciating pain because um, obviously I think a nerve had been exposed or, or something along those lines. Even breathing in cold air um, was, was very, very painful. So I went to the pharmacist, got a travel uh, temporary filling kit, which I put on that, that sort of stopped it up and I had some strong painkillers. Um, and then I went on a search for an NHS dentist. There, there literally was nowhere in Northampton at the time um, that, was, that was taking people on that we could find. We rang up quite a few places. Um, we'd, we'd have had to go quite out of the area. Even even uh, Milton Keynes, which is, is probably the nearest city, um, there, there was no one there at all. And after months of hunting for an NHS dentist, Alistair finally saw a site for sore eyes or sore teeth. There was a place um, in near the centre of the town which had a big banner outside saying NHS dentist uh, taking on new NHS clients. So I, I, I got in touch there and I made an appointment. But it wasn't over yet. He told me, oh, this needs a special treatment or a cap or something, but I can't actually afford to do it on what the NHS pay me. So you've got to go to someone else I know. So he went to an NHS dentist who won't treat him under the NHS. What's going on? What's that about? We'll find out after this short break. Hi, it's producer Claire here. Before we delve beneath the surface of Alistair's story, I wanted to let you know about a new book coming out that collates the very best from the Unreported Britain project. Handpicked from over two years... Stephen Armstrong's The New Poverty takes well-researched local and community stories and gives them platform, profile and leverage. So if you want to take part in a debate about what we don't know and why we don't know it, make sure you get yourself a copy of The New Poverty. If you want to find out more, we'll include a link to the book in this episode's description on the Guardian website. Welcome back to the Unreported Britain podcast. I'm Stephen Armstrong. Before the break, we were talking to Alistair Pulling, 
who damaged his teeth in the 90s, had the problem flare back up recently and struggled to get dental treatment on the NHS. He finally found an NHS dentist, but was told he couldn't receive treatment under the NHS. What's going on here? So the obstacle Alistair came up against is a change to the dental funding system that took place back in 2006. It took away the old system, which was where dentists got paid for each job they did, and replaced it with something called units of dental care. Units of dental care, or UDCs, are essentially a flat rate of payment for a single job. If, for instance, you go into the dentists and you have one filling, you have a UDC which pays for that. It's a single unit. It's like having a token to pay for your health care that the NHS provider gives to your dentist. If you go in and you have 10 fillings, it's still just one UDC because the job is deemed to be the single job. It's the job of doing a filling. In other words, if you go in with a really complex problem, it's not economically viable for some dentists to treat you because they'll only get paid for treating you the same amount as they'll get paid someone who walks in with a fine mouth who's just popped a bit of a tooth at a birthday party. It's a system that systematically plays against people with high problem mouths and low money. The system's fundamentally flawed in the way it's, it's set up. That's Jane, who we first met working on the Dentaid van. Dentists are not being paid under the health service a reasonable amount for a reasonable quality of work. It's financially disadvantageous for dentists to be providing extensive treatment. When this system was introduced in 2006 by the new Labour government, a further wrinkle was added in that all NHS commissioning groups are given a certain number of UDC tokens, if you like. There's a maximum number of payments they will make. Each dentist has a pot of UDCs that they can spend. And when they're all spent, there's no more. If you come to your dentist when they've spent every single UDC token they've got for that year, they can't treat you on the NHS. As the year comes to a close, if dentists underspend, they know they're going to lose those UDC tokens, so they may try to perform unnecessary actions. And if, on the other hand, they've overspent, they're never going to get that back. If, as a dentist, your commissioning care group gives you 100 UDCs a year, and over the course of the year you only spend 90, then not only do they take away those treatment payments at the end of the year, they never give them back. The following year, you're only given 90 UDCs, which means you can treat fewer people on the NHS. And each time you drop below your target, maybe 80 the year after that, permanently you stay on 80 UDCs. So gradually, year after year, any dentist that doesn't fulfil their treatment finds it harder and harder and harder to treat people under the NHS. Ultimately, that means dentists will become increasingly incentivized to treat the wealthy who can pay for their treatment, or if they stay with treating NHS patients, they will lose money and possibly go out of business. So patients suffer. And this is, in the case of someone like Alistair, why when people go to the dentist, they sometimes can't find NHS dentists, even though there are some in the town. They may be full, they may have too many patients, or they may literally be unable to treat anyone more under the NHS until the end of the year. So what happens next for Alistair? He was recommended an NHS dentist in Birmingham who'll do the job, but he wasn't available for another few months, and Alistair was still in pain. What I did was I kept on using the temporary fillings from the pharmacist, and then I did a bit of MacGyver-type um, DIY dentistry. 
I vaguely knew from, I think, some of your terrible war films or things that super glue was actually invented for closing up wounds, bullet wounds in Vietnam and things, and it was actually safe to use in the body. So, like an absolute genius, I thought, well, I'll bung a load of super glue on top of the temporary filling to make a cap. And it, it sort of tasted disgusting. You probably shouldn't put that glue near your nose because you get a bit high off it as well. But I, I did actually manage to make a kind of makeshift glue cap on top of the temporary filling. Which is insane. The idea that you could go into a local shop, buy a temporary kit and see that as a valid alternative to proper healthcare. Temporary fillings, you know, they're fine for a couple of days um, and that, that's what they're there for. But I tried to make a temporary filling a bit more permanent. The thing is, Alistair is very far from being unique in this. When Dentaid first started working in the UK back in 2015, they were working with homeless people and the Trussell Trust, but they were also working in Dewsbury with a project called the Real Junk Food Project. It was a pay-what-you-can healthy food provision for local people who were struggling to get by. And just like the Trussell Trust, the people at the Real Junk Food Project were noticing many, many of their clients unable to chew their food. You imagine trying to function, you imagine trying to work, you imagine trying to look after your children and you're constantly in pain. You can't function, you really can't. And so that's where people are resorting to self-medicating, that's where they're resorting to DIY dentistry. That's Ian Wilson. He's one of the volunteer dentists who were called into Dewsbury to deal with the dental health issues local community workers were finding. I've lived in Africa for 10 years and, and came across on a regular basis people who had been in pain for months and then years and who had resorted to DIY, DIY extractions. And coming back into the UK, I, I didn't think that I would really become exposed or become aware of people that actually would be doing that on a, on a regular basis. But I have to say that being back in the UK, I have been surprised, this is my personal opinion, that I have become more aware of DIY dentistry. We don't have to name anyone, but are there any examples of DIY dentistry practices in the UK you've come across? Certainly, I had a, a young gentleman that came to see me and he was a recovering alcoholic. And uh, because of his lifestyle, it was just A, impossible to get registered, B, impossible to have some sense of continuity. Because he wasn't able to get any pain relief, he'd resorted to taking out two or three of his own teeth. How did, do you know how he did it? Did, did he tell you what he did? Uh, he got completely drunk and got one of his friends to get a pair of pliers, and they just went and had a go. And what sort of damage did that do? Well... I have to say, one of them was taken out beautifully, and I'm not being flippant here, but there were about another two teeth that obviously had been broken uh, because taking out teeth with a pair of pliers is completely inappropriate. Are there people who were working that you could talk about their mouths and your experience of working with them? An immigrant who's uh, coming to the UK, uh, he's working, uh, a lot of oral health needs, so a, a lot of holes in his teeth. He desperately needs to find a dentist for a series of appointments and a series of continued care. 
his problem was that he couldn't get time off to go to visit an NHS dentist. He couldn't find an NHS dentist to take him on the list. Any emergency appointments that he could get were too far away. And if he did manage to find an NHS dentist where he could get an emergency appointment, he couldn't afford, because of his his financial status and demands and needs, he couldn't afford the bus fare or the taxi fare to get there. And he'd actually been in pain for almost 18 months off and on. This is not just about being a refugee, this is not just about being an immigrant, this is not just about being a homeless or having various addictions or just, you know, your lifestyle is, is chaotic for a whole variety of reasons. There are genuine people who are working, who would be classed as job poor or still living close or underneath the poverty line, and they still can't access that pain relief through the NHS system. The NHS dentist can't take any more patients onto their list. And this story is nationwide. Sharon McCauley is a community worker who runs the STAR Project in Paisley in Scotland. There was a, a, a huge lack of NHS dentists. People were finding it hard to register. Um, nobody was taking any new patients on unless they were paying. The STAR team took part in a huge poverty research project back in 2015. So we consulted a lot with people in the community and fed that information back into the, the commission. People were talking about how they can't get to the dentist. A couple of things that jumped to my mind is somebody was saying that their uncle in the family is the one who does everybody's dentistry. People were talking about sharing uh, medication. Um, you know, if somebody had run out of something or had a sore tooth, we would find that people would say, oh, I've still got some of those antibiotics, you, you can use that. So people were actually keeping some medicine back just in case something happened again or somebody needed it that they knew. I distinctly remember... The idea of sharing antibiotics is alarming. You're prescribed a specific dose in order to get rid of all possible traces of the infection. If you don't finish the course, as your doctor will tell you, you run the risk of letting superbugs into the community. And that means long-term health problems. And also, dental antibiotics are different to the antibiotics prescribed for, say, skin or stomach complaints. In other words, these shared antibiotics aren't curing the problem. And so, while sharing medication might not sound that bad, it's actually storing up long-term health problems, and it's not even treating the symptoms. But this is not only a medical problem. It's a social problem too. It can even prevent people lifting themselves out of poverty. Whether we like it or not, the science says that we judge somebody within seven seconds by how they look. And so if somebody's got missing teeth or black teeth because they're covered in decay, they often put their hands over their mouth, they avoid having photographs, they don't want to be seen. So that affects their confidence, it affects their job prospects... So that has huge ramifications. That's Jane, who we first met working on the Dentaid van. And she's seen what a change dental care can do for people's self-confidence. Working in Trinity, there was a guy that we cleaned up his teeth. And it was very, very simple scale and polish. But when he, he walked into the, the surgery, 
He would slouch shoulders and he used to talk with his hand in front of his mouth. He wouldn't make eye contact and he just didn't have any confidence. We did a simple scale and polish and all of a sudden you can see him. He walks, he stands up straight, he's got a smile on his face, he'll make eye contact with you and he no longer puts his hand in front of his face. And it's so simple but it makes such a massive difference about how they feel about themselves and how they project themselves. So we've heard about the importance of teeth to our general medical health. We've talked about the effects it has on people's mental health, on literally the attractiveness of one's face and therefore how likely we are to get jobs, how likely, given that we're led to understand that the only way out of poverty is through work, how poor dental health can actually penalise our chances of escaping the system and the position that we're in. We've heard about the dental payment system and how that's making it financially challenging for dentists to do not only what's clinically correct, but also to treat the poorer patients with more complicated mouth conditions. And we've seen, horrifyingly, how the lack of access to NHS dentistry has left many of us resorting to temporary and dangerous solutions. So... It's all sounding a bit bleak. I asked Jane, what's her outlook on the future? Is there any hope? Uh, If things don't change, we've got a really big problem. Um, The people on margins of society, the vulnerable, they are not going to be cared for. Those people that find it difficult for one reason or another to access dental care... Unless the charities are picking them up, that's what's going to happen. Do you think that we that that you know that we we have a system that we don't quite and that we need to do something about it? Yeah, I think we do need to. Um, as a society, we need to have an intelligent discussion about what we as citizens want for ourselves and our society, and what we're prepared to pay for it. We do need to think about healthcare as a far wider subject, as what do we want for ourselves? And it's not just healthcare, health and social care. What do we want for our parents and our grandparents? What do we want for our children and our grandchildren? And money doesn't grow on trees. And if it's going to be free at the point of service... It has to come from taxes. So how much are we prepared to pay as a society for what we want? I have the privilege of working within the NHS dentistry profession since 1987. And this, in my opinion, is the hardest that it's been. And it's hardest because of the constraints and the difficulties of the system. That's Ian Wilson again, one of the dentists volunteering at the Dewsbury Project. If you're going to take away the resources, don't be too surprised if the needs within that dental profession are going to be coming up and up and up. We have to innovate, we have to look at alternatives so that actually people aren't left in pain because that really is a third world situation. What we're saying, just in very sort of lamest terms, is what we're saying is that in the future we're going to see charities picking up the slack that the healthcare service can't provide? I believe so. I mean, time will tell. 
But the fact of the matter is that there's a need, and the need isn't going to go away. And we have a moral and ethical obligation to try and meet those needs. And if meeting those needs means that we create environments, we create cultures whereby dentists can say, I'd like to volunteer, please, because I believe, Stephen, that the dental industry is an amazing industry. It's, it's generous, and I believe that that's where we ultimately will go. We're recording this in the summer of 2017. 75 years ago, in the summer of 1942, William Beveridge was putting the finishing touches to his report on social security and health. It was published that autumn and it was known as the Beveridge Report and it laid the foundations for our welfare state. It suggested solutions to the housing problem, to the health problem, to the unemployment problem and almost to the crossed T and dotted I, his suggestions were put into effect immediately after the Second World War and led to one of the greatest periods of prosperity, falling poverty levels, rising debt-to-GDP ratios that paid off the war debts that uh, the UK had. It was an astonishing success. Now, 75 years on, a lot of the problems that Beveridge was trying to deal with, a lot of the want, a lot of the need, a lot of the ignorance, a lot of the lack of proper housing, they're returning. A lot of the safety net that he set out to shield us is being hacked away. We're losing ground. We're losing some of the progress that we made 75 years ago. We're in the danger of falling back behind where we were then. Now, we need to have a conversation as wide-ranging, as deep-thinking as William Breveridge's extensive report. Whatever you think about the solution, the big problem is, at no serious level in government is anyone asking any of these questions. Unreported Britain is a new podcast from The Guardian with support from the Orwell Foundation and the Joseph Rowntree Foundation. It was presented by me, Stephen Armstrong. The producer was Claire Crofton. The series producer for The Guardian is Max Sanderson with additional help from Jason Phipps. We'd like to thank all our contributors, particularly Jane and the team down at Dentaid. To find out more about the Unreported Britain project, head over to allwellfoundation.com forward slash unreportedbritain. And to find out more about this podcast and many more, head over to theguardian.com forward slash podcasts. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.